tonight talk. We're gonna talk about it right here. Yeah. You ready? It's tonight talks right here. We gonna talk about it right here. We gonna talk about everything you like. I'ma make it real, real clear. It's tonight talks right here. We gonna talk about it right here. I'ma talk about everything you like. I'ma make it real, real clear. Cause it's tonight talks, and I'ma talk about it. Yeah, cause it's tonight talks, and I'ma talk about it. Welcome to this episode of Tanae Talks. Today, I will be talking about the school to prison pipeline and the demonization of black students, especially black male students. On today's show, I'll have featured uh, guests, the brilliant minds of Timothy Abdul-Matin. He is the co-founder of the MAID Institute located in Flint, Michigan. The MAID Institute is an organization that helps men and women transition out of the prison system and back into civilian life, helping them with jobs. And I'm going to let him further discuss that. And we'll also have Miss Dawn Demps. Dawn is a doctoral candidate at Arizona State University um, studying this whole school to prison pipeline thing. And then we'll have Mr. Terrence Rogers, who is a high school history teacher and so uh but before we go on to break and discuss the school to prison pipeline i have one question for y'all should monique be paid five hundred thousand dollars or more from netflix thoughts no <laughs> really you gonna hit us with that yeah, yeah i wanted y'all <laughs> i needed y'all like pure like y'all pure reaction for that yes i wanted to get her money get your money negotiate that money get it oh wait a minute <laughs> uh, terrence said she should get her uh, money timothy you say no and you you said that with a firm no why is that i mean i i just look at the market and what she's trying to do monique i mean she's an oscar winner you know, she's a legend, but what has she done in the last five years? <laughs> I don't see anything she's done. The people want to know. That half, of, <laughs> that half a million that they offered her, I think, I mean, it may be con- uh, a little bit more, a little bit higher, but to con- to you and compare Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock, they on a whole nother level with stand-up comedy. Monique, we haven't seen her do stand-up. I, I know I haven't. Is what Queens of Comedy, but I could be wrong. She did another. Right. She so, did so another I'm, special. I must say, that. I concur. <laughs> I concur with Timothy. Um, I, I think that um, in terms of they're paying her to be a comic on Netflix, if we're looking at that, I don't think she's on the same level as them. It has nothing to do with her gender. I personally don't think she has funny, but you know, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> well, damn. Uh, <laughs> Low-key, she ain't that funny. Wow, wow. <laughs> she is not that funny. Terrence told me earlier she ain't white famous, so she need to simmer down. Oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> racism. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's always in there. So get your racism tax. That's why I say go get your money. There's always a racism tax. You should just tack on to what they offer you. So go get it. <laughs> I love it. So we're going to go on break, and when we return, we will, we will be discussing the school-to-prison pipeline and the demonization of black students. We put the boom in your box. Get our best train 
best educated, best equipped, best prepared troops refuse to fight. Matter of fact, it's safe to say that they would rather switch than fight.
Yo. We got to fight the powers that be. So, yes, welcome back to this edition of Today Talks, where today we will be talking about the school to prison pipeline and the demonization of black students, especially the black male student. Today on my panel, I have the brilliant Timothy Abdul-Matin, the brilliant doctor, future doctor, Don Demps, and the ever so brilliant Mr. Terrence Rogers. Um, so first we'll have uh, Mr. Timothy tell him tell a little bit about himself and what the school the prison pipeline actually means to him timothy are you there yes i'm here okay go ahead yes, uh timothy abdul mateen uh co-founder of the, the may institute uh made is an entrepreneurship character building program for uh, returning citizens in the community of Flint and Jennison County. Um, personally, uh, my personal and direct experience has empowered me to be on this platform and to help individuals who are, are transitioning from uh, the prison system and, to, and returning to society and try to help them reach a level, level of stability where they can become pillars of that community. Thank you. And Don. Hi. So thank you for having me tonight. First of all, I just want to make a little correction because I don't want anybody to hear this. I am a PhD student. Yes. I haven't made it to candidate <laughs> level yet. So so hopefully in the fall, I'll be the candidate. She will but, be. But <laughs> um, yeah, Dawn Demps um, <laughs> from uh, Flint, Michigan, a um, community um, organizer, a youth programmer and youth organizer. Um, I've worked with young people for over 23, 24 years. Um, so my first um, experiences with this thing we call the school prison pipeliners for what I call student push out. I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Why I um, differentiate is um, through the young men that I worked with at the Urban League when I was there. Um, young men who I consider my sons um, now who were pretty much pushed out of school. Um, then my um, experience as a mother with my own son who was um, suspended. Um, for a nonviolent infraction. And then myself, um, I was pushed out of college, um, high school. I dropped out of high school at 16. Um, I was put out for uh, truancy and for um, having too many absences and was pretty much, you know, directed into alternative ed, which I went to about two weeks. And the <laughs> wow. so-called teacher put a book in front of me and said, yo, go through the chapters and uh, turn it in as you go. And one day at lunch, I just walked out and I never went back. Um, but now I'm a PhD student, you know, 20 some odd years later. Wow, that's so phenomenal. obviously there are young people that are pushed out for um, these very uh, ambiguous reasons um, left up to self-interpretation. And we are losing diamonds because they are being pushed out. And when I was pushed out, I went to go live with my then at the time pimp drug dealing boyfriend. Right. Yeah. So. What happens to these kids when we put them out of school? So that's kind of my experience and where I come from um, in my position with the school to prison pipeline. Thank you, Don. I can't wait to dive into more of that. And then Mr. Rogers. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm just a local high school teacher here in the DFW. Uh, just looking at the school to prison pipeline from the perspective of like, I'm, I'm in the state, you know, working in the state, watching how it uh, performs. I've taught at alternative schools you know baby jail down here in texas uh you can see right you're you're it's right before you're sent to uh jj which is junior justice uh, juvenile justice 
and then right before that then you're sent to the texas youth commission so and you can see how these things play out you know you see it at the school you see it with uh how teachers can just basically have certain attitudes about certain kids about certain things have certain values that they feel like these kids are reaching up to and just can decide you know what i've had enough of you today i'm going to write you up and this can happen a few times, a few times, you know, over a course of a month. And next thing you know, this kid is like, like you just said, Don, pushed out. So I'm, I, I want to participate in this conversation just to, uh, one, see how we can add some corrective on my end and kind of add some experience that I've seen in the process. Thank you, Mr. Rogers. And my connection to this whole topic is I am raising a black male student in the American school system and the demonization of him, I guess, it started when he was in preschool. We used to live in Grand Blank, Michigan, and he went to a preschool that I had to pay tuition for. And he was three years old, and what I identify as normal kid behavior, um, his teacher was just making a big deal out of it. One day he had to take a school photos, and I guess he was shrugging his shoulders. You know, I guess that's, I don't know. And she sent this big note home, like, he's shrugging his shoulders and, you know, made it seem like it was just the end of the world. And I'm like, really? He's shrugging his shoulders and you have a, <laughs> like you have an issue. And then when we, uh, when we moved here to Texas, starting, um, he started kindergarten here and just the different things that they were doing to him. A, a, a white student um, had stabbed him near his eye with a lead p- pencil and they didn't let me, you know, know about it. And so I raised all kind of professional hell, you know, I didn't act ghetto, but I, you know, I went to the school board. I wrote a lot of nasty emails, nice, nasty. And hmm. after that, it seemed like they, they tried to pick on him. So every little infraction that he did, um, I would get notes sent home to me. Like he almost hit a, a, a girl almost doesn't count. So, I just find that very interesting. And then we, we've had a long road and now he's in the second grade and in second grade, um, we've been, I've had to have meetings with the school counselor, the principal, the school therapist, his teacher, um, for behavior that I deem as typical seven year old behavior that I've seen. I've been up to the school. I've seen how the kids act and they're sending me dissertations home and saying that he might need help and all, you know, mental you know that he might what is it called the 504 plan Mm -hmm. you know just suggesting these things and you know I had to really fight on behalf of my son and and if I wouldn't have fought for him they would still be messing with him but because they saw that I wasn't playing they they have backed off no issues and so I want to give the uh, audience a working definition of the school to prison pipeline, it says that it starts in the classroom with zero tolerance policies, uh, along with teachers decisions to push students out of the classroom, um, which Don touched on. So first I want to go to Timothy. Um, Timothy was in the criminal justice system. He did serve time. And Timothy, I'd like you to talk about how you feel school and it may be even your neighborhood contributes contributed to you going into uh, the prison system and maybe tell us what do you think could have been done differently that would have not led you to that path? Okay. Uh, you know, first, first and foremost, I, I, I think about, you know, when my so-called uh, trouble started, uh, a lot of my so-called trouble started when I was attending school and I was, you know, <clears throat> kind of, do stuff regular kids do, you know, and they will make a big deal out of 
And I often, oftentimes, my mother would find out that I would get, you know, I would get kind of targeted more than other students because I have been labeled. And I just think about when, you know, when I attended middle school, I attended Long Settle Middle School, and it was like this socialization process. And what I mean is like, it, it was intensified for a lot of me and my peers. You know, we attended these schools and it had significant, like, police presence. We had the liaison. We had the police surveillance. We had metal detectors, security cameras, you know, just things like that. And what that did for me, it, in, in my mind, it planted a seed in my mind. Like, like I, was, I felt like I was being criminalized. So, in essence, when you feel like you're being criminalized, you oftentimes you uh you 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 tend to become that because over time and over time when they putting this out there and they putting this out there and they make big deals out of little things I would say that could be corrected you know in different ways you start to believe what they say you are right so, so it's kind of like a self fulfilling prophecy yes mm-hmm. definitely. The pig mainly in the state is what like this self fulfilling prophecy, and I think for me, that's what it was. And unfortunately, I feel like I wasn't uh, mature enough mentally to understand it then, so I kind of fell back into it. You know, then you got to look at from my community too. Right now, I would say eighty to eighty-five percent of all of my peers have either been in prison, have a felony on their record. Or, you know, and, and a lot of them are deceased. So just that culture that we were living in, it just it just bred that, you know what I'm saying, that, that type of behavior or that type of sentimentality where you felt like, you know, I'm lawless and this is what it is. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Um, Dawn, can you um, kind of piggyback off of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, wow. Well, I mean, he, he said a lot. Um I think one of the first things that um, we have to look at at, in in this conversation, I guess I see my role, I'm not only coming from like a community aspect, but from the scholarly aspect, because let's be clear, anytime our stories are told and we use our voice, they discount our stories and they discount our voices, Mm -hmm. right? Everything that he just said, that Timothy just said is backed up by research and data. Mm -hmm. So this is not just his experience. It's many kids experiences. Um, and, and, and so we need to look at valuing and listening to what our young people are saying, what we don't value, especially what students of color have to say, especially what black and brown students have to say. We don't want to listen, you know, to, to their experience. We think, you know, outside people think they're specialists on the black experience, but black kids aren't, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, probably if you would have pulled him to the side, just like myself, if you would have pulled me to the side when I was younger to figure out what was going on in my life, instead of telling me, you can't be at this high school anymore. You need to go to alternative ed. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That um, we can learn so much more. The increased police presence in our schools, and, and this is just one thing because I don't want to keep going on. I know that we um, want Mr. Um, Rogers to speak as well about his experience. But when you look at the police presence in schools and you look at the demographics of the schools <laughs> that have the most police presence, what do you think they look like? like us probably black and brown (laughs) for sure they look like black and brown schools but the things that kind of tipped off what we call zero tolerance policies these policies that really went into effect especially after the columbine incident 
which was put in place, Columbine was committed by who? White <laughs> students. Okay. Come on, somebody. As our most, <laughs> come on, as our, our most school shootings and things of that nature, um, I don't believe that Columbine High School even has metal detectors in their school to this day. And, and that's okay. funny that you so say that, Don, because um, in my previous position, I was partnered with the high school. And at that high school, a young lady committed suicide in the bathroom at school. Which and she was a mm-hmm. she was a Caucasian student, and you know what I'm saying. I mean, just the mm-hmm. type of activities that goes on, and they didn't increase. They I feel like they should have increased police presence there just in the bathrooms because she did it in the bathroom, and they did. Right. You know, they did right. not. Things went on as usual. Mm-hmm. They had like a little visual in the courtyard, and then we didn't even hear about it anymore. It was it was it just like it was, right. it was just like another day. Right. And so when and when Timothy talks about how his behavior was uh, put up as like the epitome of evil, right? Like, right. oh, he's, he's just out of pocket. We mm-hmm. we don't know what's going on with him. He's just crazy. Or your son, he shrugged his shoulders. Oh, my God. <laughs> right. But again, research. I got to go back to the research because if I say it, then I'm wrong, right? So let's back this up. Russell Skiba, who's one of the, you know, foremost scholars when we talk about school to prison pipeline has found and other scholars have found that black and white kids can do the almost exact same thing in the classroom but the response to it is different it's not the behavior and to hear a lot of these conservative pundits and other things talk about the school to prison pipeline they would have you believe that black kids act and behave more badly than their white counterparts. And that, in fact, is not the case. That is when not black the case. students do minor infractions, they are punished three to four times worse than their white counterparts. And this is absolutely true. So it's, um, Don, you're yes, absolutely right yes. because you're talking about data, but I, I guess you could say I did actual, the the real study. I went into my son's school <laughs> and, you know, it was right, a predominantly right. white school. And I, and I, at his school, there's like a, where the parents can come and have open lunch with the kids. And I went to have lunch with him one day and his uh, Caucasian counterpart was throwing his lunch at another young lady. Uh, and all the lunch lady did was walk around and clean it up. And he was squirting his gogurt, mm-hmm. gogurt on her. And I was just, I was appalled because mm-hmm. I said, had this been my little brown son, they would have sent them to the, they I mean, called you. <laughs> they would, they called you, come and get him. Come and get him. <laughs> you know, we're going to send him home for a few days. So um, we talked about the, like I said, the working definition in which both you and Timothy touched on was a teacher's decision or these teachers response to a behavior. Mr. Rogers, how do you, we talk about this a lot off air about your response to your students' behavior because you don't want to see them going down the school to prison pipeline. So what are some alternative methods that you tend to do when you see certain uh, behavior displayed amongst your brown and black students? That's interesting because I don't feel like I do anything that is um, all that exemplary. I think I just do the most human thing. I figure that these are young people. Young people are not masters of their emotions. They are not great decision makers all the time. They don't have a whole lot of wisdom. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they are more focused on what their peers are doing and not on adults. So I have to find a way to be a part of the village that helps raise them. And raising them doesn't mean that I have to do something to get rid of them. So I'm really like the uncle. I'm really like the dad. I'm really like the big brother because I'm going to deal with all those issues in the room. I'm going to handle 
you know, a kid coming in and he's constantly falling asleep, you know, that's not a necessarily a bad kid. That might be a kid who stay up too late doing foolishness in the streets. You never know what it is, but in the end, does that mean that that kid needs to be sent to ISS? Does that kid need to now have to be sent to, well, that's in-school suspension down here, uh, sent to in-school suspension over and over again until they get behind in their classroom, and then next thing you know, they're acting out in class because they can't catch up and the teacher might be a jerk. So it's it's real simple decisions that you just make where you just decide to have some kind of empathy where you're looking at not punitive uh, punishments to a kid where you're looking at how can I help correct the situation? I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to pull you out in the hallway or and, and pull your coat to some things or whatever it takes. I'll find whatever it takes. And to me, it's simple because it's just how I am. And I look at other teachers and I'm like, wow, you write up kids every week. You <laughs> actually need a whole stack of referrals and I haven't written a referral maybe <laughs> once in the last three years. Right. And your student, we talk about this a lot. Your students respect you. Right. Um, Dawn mentioned earlier uh, that she worked at the Urban League. Dawn used to be my previous supervisor at the, at the Urban League. Um, we had a program called Poise for Greatness. And what was the other one called? The other program, Dawn? Oh, Poise. I mean, well, of course, it was Eyes on a Prize. Oh, yeah, Eyes on a Prize and Poise for Greatness. Yeah. And so, <laughs> as Don mentioned, we had some young men in that in our program who were pushed out of the school system, and they found refuge and solace at the Urban League with us because we didn't look at them as thugs. We didn't care that they came with their pants sagged down a little bit. We understood that they had issues that they had to face out in the streets and at home. We would feed them a snack and mm. we would mentor them and love on them and give them a hug, something that they may have not even uh, received at home. So Mr. Rogers, you touched on the village aspect and mm-hmm. Dawn, I want you to chime in on how important is the village um, to keeping these students out of the school, to prison pipeline. And after you respond to uh, Timothy, I like your um, response on that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I, I guess I'll start. Um, I, th- I think that's what um, Terrence just spoke about. Um, it, he was a dream keeper, right? So it's these teachers that we know we all have come up with that were those, you know, loved us hard, but loved us hard, right? So we have this this thought process that says that if you love kids, somehow you cannot be hard and demanding, but that is required of our kids. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. a lot of teachers go in the classroom scared of our kids oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and not knowing how to um, navigate speaking to them, not understanding our culture, not understanding their culture. Mm-hmm. So when our kids speak, quote unquote, loudly, they um, consider that threatening when that's just how we communicate. Right. <laughs> we're passionate. In my own house, we're we're passionate got, people. Right, I got <laughs> up on my wall. Look, we do loud in my house. We loud. <laughs> and, and we loud not because we're trying to scare you. We right. loud because we get excited and we jump up. And, and Christopher Emden talks about, you know, that church tradition. Mm. You know, that's how, that's how we came up. Right. So a lot of teachers are not being trained properly to go into these schools. And I think the other part of that is, is that we just really have to understand that the bones of our educational system are grounded in deficit ideology towards black and brown kids, period. Mm -hmm. And we can't get around that. You know, uh, as a country, we started with uh, compulsory ignorance laws, which (laughs) said that we weren't even allowed to learn how to write. And the only thing they wanted us to read was the Bible. Mm -hmm. And then they took that away. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And, And then they started having debates on whether or not we were even human. 
And then once they got past that, okay, they're human, but somehow their genes are deficient, right? right? And, and then once they got past that, they was like, well, maybe they can be taught. You know, now, now we've come to the point where we think they can be educated, but they can't be educated with our kids, with white kids, so we're going to segregate them. Right. And then after we get done segregating, we're going to pass Brown be Board. We're going to say, okay, well, they can be with us because somehow being with us will be a gift to them. But we're not going <laughs> to give gift. them the resources okay. that they need, that we're not going to support them in the way that's, that they need to be supported. And, again, we are continuing this deficit ideology in our teacher colleges yes. where we're not creating um, Mr. Rogers, right? We're not creating teachers like him <laughs> in our teacher colleges because instead we are based in we want to teach character education to kids. Right. Somehow mm-hmm. we think that their parents don't teach them about character, but we ain't okay. teaching our teachers yeah. about character. Right. Okay, we're not teaching our teachers how to deal with our kids and how to talk to our kids and how to respect their home culture, their home language, okay. and to respect where they come from. So we have to love upon our kids because guess what? Nobody else is loving upon no, our kids. Nobody right. else will. And then they expect us to respect everybody else's culture and be sensitive to them. Mm-hmm. Don, Don, you brought up a very mm-hmm. good point about gifting. It's a gift to be with us. And isn't it funny that when we integrate, we got to be bused to their schools, but they won't dare be bused to our schools. Mm-hmm. How, mm-hmm. how insane well, that's, a whole, that's a whole nother podcast. Because <laughs> Don, I was about to compass you to offer and play and open up the doors of the church, what you were just talking about. Uh, so uh, Timothy, go ahead. Can you chime in on that? How important the village is in keeping our, our students out of the school to prison pipeline? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Uh, first and foremost, Mr. Rogers, I love, I mean, just what he what he shared, that, that's what we need in the school system. Mm-hmm. And especially especially here in Flint, where I have went in and, and mentored, you know, young black boys, and I have, you know, interacted with some of the teachers. And I'm going to be honest with you. When you step into the, when I stepped into Northwestern, I felt like mm-hmm. I was stepping into a prison. Mm-hmm. So automatically, mm-hmm. I feel that energy, and the kids feel it as well. Yes, then the interaction with the teachers, the teachers are so disconnected with the students. You know, they so disconnected. And when you don't have that connection with the students, you're not going to be able to love Because like Don said, they already have these ideologies. First and foremost, the teachers don't look like them. They don't understand their culture. And their ideologies is already based upon these false perceptions of what young black males or females go through, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. in these urban communities. And that's why the, the, the African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child, or the youth in, in general, is so important to me because I understand what that means. If every, 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 every kid, they should be touched by a hand of love. Right. Like, whether that's at home, whether that's religious institutions, whether that's the school and whether that's the streets. Unfortunately, we know some of those, you know, uh, they call them Asians of socialization, have, they, they're not working up to part. A lot of kids are coming from broken homes. Mm-hmm. So what that means? That means a lot of kids go to school because schools for them, it's a, it's, a, it's a way for them to receive some type of love or attention that they may not get at home. So mm-hmm. if you already not getting that, that attention, that love at home, that nurturing at home. Okay, I'm gonna go to school because you have some kids that maybe come from a poor, broken home and they go to school every day. And you like, how is this guy or this young woman going to school every day when they come from this circumstance? But they come in because it's something at their school that they want, you know, that they want. And if you don't have the school stepping in, showing that they believe in these kids, that they love these kids, that's just another failure for them. And then in the streets. 
that's important too. We need more like myself and other individuals, you know, especially uh, for young black males and young black women, to be role, more role models, to, sh to show them a better way, to have those talks. Oftentimes, you're going to have youth that's going to come to you. They might not feel comfortable talking to a teacher or their parents. They mm -hmm. might come to you in the streets and talk to you. Yep. So we have to step up in that aspect as well. And I just believe that, you know, that proverb, it takes a village to raise a child, is so important. And we need to get back to that in our community. That's how we will empower our, you know, our youth. And we can, you know, turn this thing around. So that's, that's my take on it. Yeah. Thank you. How important is it for uh, these teachers to foster a feeling of trust among their students? Um, Terrence, you told me a few times the students have told you things that w would be shocking to some, you know, not expecting them to tell them certain things, but you have fostered an environment of trust where they feel like I can come to you when something is plaguing me that may prevent them from committing a crime or doing something crazy to their peers so that they're not thrown into the school to prison pipeline. Oh, it's, it's very important to be that way, but see... I was just thinking while everyone was talking, there's this article. I read it before. I can't quote where it was, but it, the title was something to the effect that we have to teach our children the sociopolitical context of school. And I was thinking about how I could just chop that up for my students. And in the end, I'm like, man, school is not a part of the village that helps raise the child. It's not part of the village. It's not. Because the way teachers uh, respond, as everyone has already stated, teachers are just they're. They come from different classes, even black teachers. I was thinking about how uh, when I went to college in my last year of college in my education program, uh, I, I did a presentation on teaching in urban, going to teach in urban schools. And I just started off the presentation by asking, how many of you plan to go teach our children? Now, I went to a HBCU now and I asked a class full of predominantly black people if they plan on teaching in urban areas. And most of them would not raise their hand. Wow. And I'm like, oh, we got black people who don't want to teach black kids. <laughs> that's <laughs> I was that's like, oh, okay. crazy. Now, time. fast forward. Mm. A lot of our kids are pushed into the prison pipeline, the school to prison pipeline, and they attend. Our school systems in America are segregated. So who's the one sending them? And you're going to find out that a good chunk of them are black and brown teachers yeah. the truth hurts <laughs> and it just cut me deep so <laughs> now we're talking about class because classism. we're talking about a classism where people go in, i've heard teachers come into these schools and they'll talk down on these kids like their parents need to do xyz and their parents exactly. don't do this yep. mm -hmm. and they're so mm -hmm. arrogant i'm like and so how can you mm -hmm. foster an environment of trust and love when you look, you look down on these people like your oppressor looks down on you. Oh, they didn't ad adopted the mm -hmm. oppressor's ideologies yeah. out here in these streets. It's Ooh. like Stockholm syndrome mm -hmm. or something. It's like it's crazy watching black and brown teachers just look down on their own babies. And I'm like, these are your babies. You don't love these babies. Right. Why? They look just well, like you. It's it's sick. So Wait. it's so important. It's important. Oh, my that God. That. Don, I'm tagging you in because I feel like you got a lot to say. No, I was, I was gonna say, oh my God, what he said, I was like, yo, I, man, we need to connect after this. So I, I will, I will give a little antidote. When I was still in Flint, um, I was called by some teachers. Okay, so so let's put this out here. There are some wonderful teachers in the school, like Mr. Rogers, that are trying to advocate for our kids, but they are not being supported. And unfortunately, I would say that they are not the majority. They're just not. They're not the majority. 
So some teachers called me and they said, Dawn, 40 some odd kids got kicked out of one high school in Flint, Michigan. What? Mm-hmm. Yo, in one day. In one day. In one day. Okay. That's insane. And this is what really started me on publicly pushing against the school to prison pipeline in my hometown. Um, they called me up. I ended up getting access to some stuff. Right. Somebody slid me something. Yeah. <laughs> on the low. They slid it on before. the low. <laughs> on the low. They was like, here, act like you ain't get this from me. Um, none of the suspensions for, were for any violent behavior. Mm-hmm. Right. Nothing like that. The principal of this school was African-American. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's put this out here. <laughs> I went to talk to two board members. Okay. At the time. Before I did anything else, you know, because I'm all about, you know, I'm getting the news in. We're going to be loud. What's up? But first, I'm holler at my people. I'm talk to you first. And both of the board members told me, well, the principal know what he's doing. You know, this ain't nothing you need to worry about. Hmm. You know, those kids shouldn't have been doing whatever it is they did. But well, do he both even of those know what they did? board members were African-American. <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. Both of the board members were African-American. So when we started our campaign in Flint to push against the school to prison pipeline, we had educate the community, of course. A lot of people didn't know what that was. Da, da, da. Some of my worst feedback was from our community mm-hmm. saying that our kids should just follow the rules. Our kids just need to do what they told, right? Not understanding that our kids are not allowed to be critical thinkers. Mm-hmm. Our kids are not allowed to be independent thinkers because when they do it, we look at them and we say that you're being sassy, you're being smart ass, you need to be quiet. When white kids do it, we call them um bill gates <laughs> right? we call them innovative we call them, they're innovative know, right we call them <laughs> innovative right they're innovators <laughs> and, and we look up to them right you know what i'm saying so there's a lot of work we have to do in our own community i don't care what color the teacher is mm-hmm. and while it is i do agree it's class i think a lot of it is class i think a lot of us Again, another podcast for another time. Get out of our <laughs> environments and we forget from whence we came mm-hmm. i'm gonna bring y'all all back we're gonna talk about that, that. We, that we are all washed in this white supremacist ideology all of us are all of us are um regardless of what color you are we've all been fed we've all been given the kool-aid right and most of us unfortunately drink it some of us go up under the table we gonna hide under the bed we're not gonna drink it we're gonna pour it out we're gonna act like we drunk it or something (laughs) but a lot of us do so that's a lot of our educators as well um regardless of what they come from. So we need to fight against the school to prison pipeline, but we need to fight against the roots of the school to prison pipeline, which is this white supremacist ideology that says that these kids are inferior and these kids are better. And whoever you selling that to, they're going to buy it. And if you are trying to be a teacher in the United States of America and you come up into any school of education, most of them, the large majority of them, are not going to be progressive in their thinking. They're not going to be critical in their thinking. They're not going to be pushing back against it. They're going to continue feeding that same ideology that created the compulsory ignorance laws, right, right. still to this day. You're absolutely right. right. Compulsory ignorance. I love that word. I just want to say. <laughs> Didn't that sound good? <laughs> it's gangster. It's so gangster. Gangster. So... Uh, Timothy mentioned a very important piece. He said when he walked into Flint Northwestern High School, it felt like a prison. Mm-hmm. And he's an expert on that because he's been to prison. So how important is the curb appeal? For those who don't know what curb appeal is in sociology, that's the look of things, the ambiance of an environment. Um, what What is a good uh, curb appeal that would foster 
an environment where kids don't feel in prison? What what does that look like? What would that look like, Timothy, for these kids so that they can feel empowered and not like their public enemy number one? I'll give you a good example. Flint Powers High School. Hmm. What, I, mm-hmm. what I mean by that is when you when you walk up in when you when you walk up into a high school like Flint Powers or whatever, you feel like I can accomplish anything in the world. It's state of the art. Mm. Everything is beautiful. I mean, it's, it's everything is beautiful. The facility is, is the maintenance is upkept. Like these type, these little things, mm-hmm. these things matter to kids because it has an everlasting impression on them. Because what oftentimes what kids see is what they believe. Mm-hmm. So if you walk in every day, I see metal detectors, I see security guards harassing me because they're buying into, you know, this white supremacy, white watch mind state that, you know, a lot of these kids are just criminals, they just hard headed, they just bad. So when they buy into that, Kids feel that ambiance. They feel that energy. And in return, they're going to rebel. They're going to buck against it because this is what they see and this is what they feel. So I feel like, you know, to, to counter that, we need definitely need, our schools need to be invested in more, definitely, from the aesthetics of it, the look of it, first and foremost. We should, we, why can't we have a state-of-the-art facility where it's beautiful? I mean, where I can look at the walls and just feel good about it. When it's the the lighting and everything is good, then why we why can't we have staff and, and faculty who show confidence in us, who support us, who you know we we trust and we can go to them and we can talk to them about things? How come we can't go in classrooms where you know our laboratories are are stated are as well? Like we I, I I look at it like we need more investment into our schools. And whether that uh, that investment is a human capital investment, whether it's economical, I feel like if we do that, we can make a difference in in the ideologies and the sentimentality of these youth to even counter that. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. One mm-hmm. of the things um, for my listeners, I am a native of Flint, Michigan, and recently we and we're still going through the water crisis. So when we talk about, like you said, how what the the things that these kids see. And so Northwestern was basically falling apart, looking a mess. And so some celebrities started coming to town to try to help the students and the, you know, the youth in the school system. And they beautified Northwestern. Wow. Do y'all remember that? When they beautified. Yeah, when yep. President Obama came. And they, when I tell you they cleaned Northwestern from top to bottom. To me, that me- to me that's a slap in the student's face to mm-hmm. say y'all yeah. not worth us cleaning this up. <laughs> but because Slay this that. this man is coming in the town, are we gonna clean it up? And that kids feel that energy. Energy is real. They they can tell. Exactly. Basically, saying y'all ain't shit, and Amazing. we gonna leave mm-hmm. this environment to look like it ain't shit. But when we when we feel when we deem someone is important. Oh, now we gonna make it look like something. How did how did y'all feel mm-hmm. about that? I mean, that really hurt me. Truth mm. truth be told. Did y'all want to? Oh, sp- I, oh. <laughs> I, 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 I was I was I was highly upset because I actually went to Northwestern when uh, when Pres- President Barack Obama came, and I seen it. I'm like, why? That, I mean, they made the school look so good, and I thought that was a slap in the face. But it, I also thought it was a, a soft 
uh, on those uh, kids' intelligence as well. Like, you really think these kids are stupid? Or like, you really feel like they don't recognize what's going on or the message, the symbolism that you're sending with that? So I, I, I was highly upset by uh, by that. that. That really had me, uh, that had my anger on the team, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I don't want to end this podcast without having some solutions. And so we're going to go through a list of solutions to the school of the prison pipeline. And then I'd like all my guests to chime in. Um, so according to splinternews.com, there are five things that you can do to, I guess, eradicate uh, the school to prison pipeline. And as I go through them, you guys can chime in. The first thing is they said is to improve the student to staff ratio. Um, I would say I would have to agree with that because the classrooms are overcrowded and I feel like there needs to be a main teacher and at least two assistants. And those assistants need to be well-trained. They don't just need to be somebody off the corner of the streets or, you know, they they need to have proper training, especially in cultural competency. That's a big thing. I took cultural competency yeah. in college, and I feel like that would help too. And you guys can do. Would you agree that that is a solution? You guys can chime in. We can start with Don. Um, I I think that there are a few. Um, I would I would absolutely agree with what you just said. Um, I think that we need to better train our teachers. We need to better train our educators. Um, we need to make um culturally relevant pedagogy um, and, and uh, cultural competency and be a centerpiece and a keystone of how we teach teachers in this country. I think that needs to be a national movement. We have the black and browning of um, our schools. Um, that's not going away. No matter how much Donald Trump tries to ship people of color out, um, <laughs> it, it's still too many um, that the schools are going to look like us. And so we have to have teachers prepared, black and white, to deal with us. Um, so we, we definitely need to push that. I also think that it is up to um, community organizations. And I'm going to say parents second. The reason I do that is because I, and again, in podcast one other time, it is very <laughs> easy for us to blame parents for anything mm -hmm. that's wrong mm -hmm. with kids and society and everything else. Mm -hmm. um, I know as a single mother, you know, or unmarried mother of three, that it is hard work, it is hard business, and I don't expect the teacher to come in and pay my bills. So don't expect me to come in and teach your class. Come right? on, somebody. So Don, hold on, I gotta to, pause uh, you right there. I I have to pause <laughs> you right there because that is a whole nother podcast. But I, I as an unmarried <laughs> single mother. I work a full 40 hours a week. And so I don't need you to tack on your teacher problems to me. You know, that's giving me a whole nother job that I'm not getting paid for. Child. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So, so it's, it's easy for us to blame parents. Again, that, that deficit based ideology, these parents ain't doing this. These parents don't know anything. These parents don't teach their kids nothing, blah, blah, blah. Right. So I'll say parents and community leaders and community organizations like the May Institute, we have to educate our community about the school to prison pipeline and we have to give our community the tools for organizing and or departure. I'm going to say that I'm going to say organizing and or departure, because I think we should fight because we live in this country to be a part of what needs to happen. We need to fight for equity. We need to fight for those things. But at the same time, you know, I always tell everybody Martin Luther King didn't march with his kids on his shoulders, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. He covered his children. Right. He put his life on the line. So I'm willing to put my life on the line for this battle, but I'm going to cover my children. And as um, 
black parents, you know, we have long employed the tools of racial protectionism for our kids. So unfortunately, if that means we got to pull our kids out of the school system or make our own schools that are more equitable Mm -hmm. for our children, um, then that's what we have to do. But I think we need to kind of hit it from all fronts um, because at this point, the resources are with the public school systems and we can unpack all of that later, but we need to fight. We have to fight. We have to be a voice and we have to teach our community how to be that voice and not just be passive and let them push our kids out of the school system. Absolutely. The next solution, and I'll pose this question to Terrence uh, or this uh, comment is to put less emphasis on standardized testing. And I put a note there. I said, Mm. um, well, one of the things is schools lose funding when students don't pass these standardized tests. And my note was, that's a whole lot of pressure to put on kids to say, y'all the reason we losing money. I mean, that's taking down their morale. Mm -hmm. So um, the solution (laughs) is to stop the school to prison pipeline is to stop putting emphasis on standardized testing. Terrence, your thoughts? (laughs) The purpose of standardized testing is to fuel the school to prison pipeline. So yes, cut that off. (laughs) (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's this game that's being played. And I see the pressure i just talked to you earlier about a student of mine that just he's, he's a senior and just failed uh this he's a palestinian student and you know so he's not a native english speaker and he's failed the u.s history test three times by one question and i'm like oh wow this this is a smart kid it's <laughs> right. like he in, in in this state he might not be able to graduate because he has not passed that test and imagine <sighs> that shifts everything for his life economically mm-hmm. and you know it's just like it's crazy so standardized testing is yes it ruins everything in the classroom it controls the pacing of the classroom uh oh i could just say you know i've been in some meetings where people would say that we should just focus on the ones who can get it and the ones who can't we just gotta mm-hmm. fly by them we have to fly by them because mm-hmm. the test set the test sets the pace i have to teach these subjects mm-hmm. by this time because they have to take the test and so that kid that is slower in reading or slower in comprehension or, or whatever it is, that kid's going to get left behind and that kid might become trouble. So, you know, mm-hmm. and to the mm-hmm. other teachers, you know. So, yes, you got the standardized testing is so key. You got to get rid of that. It is it is the problem. Mm-hmm. Throw the whole test away. The next solution is, uh, and this is for you, Timothy, uh, the next solution is says it should provide more college and career prep. Would you agree to that or not necessarily college and career prep, but maybe a trade or a trade and a skill? Can you speak more to that? Oh, yeah, most definitely. I agree on on both aspects with the uh, college and career prep. Oftentimes, a lot of uh, these schools in the black and brown communities, uh, they don't have that prep. You know, they don't they're not pushed to to even, you know, prepare themselves for for the professional life or for, you know, that, that extended education. And as far as, like, skills trade, you know, they just did studies on that, and that's increasing. And a lot of our, you know, we have we have different type of learners. And a, a lot of these youth, especially for young black males, when they enter into to high school and things like that, you have to, you know, make sure you keep that interest. A, a lot of them work good with their hands. A lot of them, you know, they, they're innovative and things like that. So, we definitely need to increase that into the school. I don't even think they have that here in Flint. I don't they they, they used like to. That. The crazy thing, my mother All went to Northwestern, and they used to have skills trade that when they graduated, they had a skills trade plus a diploma, right. and, and, and they got rid of it. So it's crazy. 
Yeah, they and they mm-hmm. and they got and that was and that was fueled by you know the unions. They know they ain't want us to compete with them for jobs, but most definitely I feel like that's the solution we gotta have, and that's actually something we're working on right now. With, you know, with the uh, youth field to try to get that into not only the school system, but, you know, independently as well with our organization. So I, I definitely would agree with that. Thank you. Um, the next solution would be alternative discipline, discipline practices such as restorative justice. Mm-hmm. And I um, and all of you, whoever wants to take that, I definitely uh, agree with restorative justice. Um, back in my day, we called it peer mediation, where <laughs> if you had an issue, you know, the, 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 I, love I love peer mediation. I, I was a peer mediator and you would get the bully of the school. <laughs> Could y'all imagine me peer mediating? It used to be super lit. Like everybody was besties afterwards. Like, come on, guys, you guys don't have to do that. I'm the same today from back <laughs> from back then. But I definitely oh <laughs> shut up, Chris. Yo, I had to kind of. <laughs> Because I remember that, man. That was just like, oh, my God, man. And I had to go. Like, I got into it with this one dude. I had to go to peer mediation. I just, it just brought back a whole lot of memories. Yeah, it was like, a good Like, why you don't like him and he don't like you? I'm like, man, I ain't got right. time for this guy, man. <laughs> but, it, but peer mediation basically got down to the meat of the matter of things. And it allowed you to realize with your peer that we're making a silly decision without having some adults try to come in on you and attack you and kick you and push you basically like we said early earlier push you out um so peer mediation terrence mentioned earlier iss in flint community schools where i'm a product of they used to have in school suspension in the seventh grade i was y'all y'all won't believe it but i got in a real bad fight i was thugging out here and (laughs) you can believe it it, because my mouth is still slick and somebody tried it and I finished it. And so I had to go to <laughs> I had to go to in school. <laughs> Shut up. Tanae said. She said, I still got these hands. Man. I Believe still that. got these hands. Believe it. Ask about it. Um, <laughs> but I did in school suspension and I thought that that was great. In school suspension, you had to go to school after like after everybody went during regular time. So if school started at seven, you had to go at nine and you had to eat the nasty lunch. Like you couldn't even go to a la carte. So it was like a little punishment. (laughs) It was a little punishment there, but again, it was restorative justice. And I think that's what the kids need. They need time to cognitively think about what they did and have time to process and work through that. Uh, Would you, would, would the panel agree? Would you guys, can you guys, each of you give me, two restorative justice practices that we can do to help students not end up in the school to prison pipeline. And we'll start with Terrence. Uh, practices. Um, I just think it should be done period. I mean, there's models of schools that are doing it all over the country. And I just think it just, you can pick a model, mm-hmm. but in the end, when kids get into conflicts, mm-hmm. their needs to understand the nature of the conflict and we shouldn't be trying to come up with punitive mm-hmm. punishments. But right now, in Texas, those kind of punishments are written into the Texas Education Code that, oh, if this happens, if X, Y, Z happens, then they got to go here. And in some in some instances, that should not happen. But where the school does have some say, when they don't have to get into that part, they just need to implement any of those models that they find effective, allowing kids to discuss those issues, allowing uh, teachers to be a part of that process, counselors to be a part of that process, to create that village. So kid, that kids don't feel like, oh, we're just trying to find a way to get rid of you. No, we're trying to solve the issue 
that is at hand. And so that you don't have to revisit it again. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Dawn? Mm-hmm. No, I, I would just um, add just a couple things. Um, so a lot of schools are moving to ISS. And so I have a, a word of caution mm-hmm. <laughs> is that yeah. they will overuse it. <laughs> yes, right? they will. That they overuse ISS. Yes. And again, there's research. Like if anybody who's listening want to hit me up for the data, I got you. <laughs> you can follow data. her on um, Facebook but, at Dawn Dimps. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But um, when it comes to in-school suspension and um, what do they have? They have those seclusion boxes that they use. That's a whole nother thing (laughs) that black and brown students will still be put into those things more often, three to four times the rate Mm -hmm. of their white counterparts, that they are abused, that they are overused, that students will walk into a school, they will be put into ISS room and almost forgotten for days. So, um, I lean more on restorative circles um, and, and any um, of those other restorative justice models. I think um, a thing that we have to remember is kind of like the, the heart of restorative justice is to restore, mm-hmm. right? So if there is, in fact, a wrongdoing, and this is the thing, that it could be a wrongdoing on the part of the educator or the administrator or the student, right? Right? It's not always the student because sometimes teachers do things that are wrong and get them into a space (laughs) where they can talk about it. Then we can come to, okay, this is what I thought you did wrong. Okay. This is what I thought you did wrong. Okay. I didn't realize Mm -hmm. you felt like that. Okay. Now how do we repair this relationship? How do we repair this situation? Um, And then that also helps young people to feel part of the school. So you don't have a situation like you had in Flint where we fixed the school for somebody to come in. That's not even part of this community. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But we don't want to fix it for you. So we've already let you know, really, you ain't part of this. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. You're not really part of this. So we we have to make sure that we make young people feel part um, of, of what's going on. And, and a lot of that I have to go back to is, is teacher training and educator training. Mm -hmm. I really like that. You said, you know, that the teacher is responsible in some aspects too of why, you know, the student may behave in a certain way and they need to be a part of the restorative justice too. And the student needs to feel like they're not going to be retaliated against because mm-hmm. you have these teachers that are, that are mocking these students that are belittling these students that are telling them that they need to be slaves or you ain't going to be nothing. You know, where's their penalty? Um, for saying for saying this to these students that are making them may act out in a certain way. So you're absolutely right. Uh, the students should have a say so, mm-hmm. and and the teacher should also be brought to to the chopping block too if they're not behaving in a in a kind manner. And lastly, tip: um, What are some suggestions do you have for restorative justice as an alternative discipline instead of pushing the students um, out of the school? Oh, well, definitely. I uh, I definitely would say community. In more community engagement. Mm-hmm. And what I mean mm-hmm. by that, I, I don't want to say like community service because nowadays that has a negative connotation in actual, or actuality. It didn't start off that way. But get, you know, and I, I have did it. Where I get, you know, maybe my kids, they may get in trouble and I make them do community service to teach them <laughs> values and how important mm-hmm. it is, you know, to, to, to give back to your community and appreciate where you're from. And I believe, you know, that that's a way of holding the, the students accountable and teaching them a lesson, yeah. you know. And, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's one way. Mm-hmm. And I also think um, we need more preventative and even some intervention as far as from, from more role models as well. I know it's kind of on mm-hmm. the line, but 
I think that's key. We have, we need organizations and people that's culturally competent, that's related to these kids, that can come in and share their experiences, like myself, and we can talk to these kids and work with them. You know, whatever they have trouble at, we can work with them on that and build them up and instill some things in them mm-hmm. that we know can be beneficial. So mm-hmm. I, I would say those mm-hmm. two things for me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That was worth some great ideas. Something? Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the only, and I think we kind of already kind of talked about this, but I just want to say it like blatantly because we don't want to say racism and bias in education. We scared to say that. So I'm going to say it. There are some racist educators, racist administrators, racist teachers mm-hmm. in the system, right? Mm-hmm. We talk about the system being racist, but also there are individuals that are racist. And I think we have to have those very honest conversations, mm-hmm. how we deal with how that racism and that bias plays out and pushing kids out, yeah. right, of the classroom. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, that would be the last thing I would add. Oh, Don, you just opened up another can of Pandora's box because <laughs> I'm like, that's a whole nother show. So, to my listeners Mm -hmm. out there we're going to have this panel back in the future to discuss more things in education this will be my education coalition because Mm -hmm. they are just so brilliant everything that they have said was just dropping gems and jewels and so we'll have you guys back and the last thing and no one has to chime in on this because the last thing that will stop the school to prison pipeline is police should be a last resort There is no reason for police to come into a classroom and handcuff a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, a 13-year-old, a six-year-old, a 16-year-old, because they are a child. Mm -hmm. And children make mistakes. Hell, adults make mistakes every day. And we don't want to be hemmed up and chained (laughs) up and handcuffed because that is a scary feeling. Mm -hmm. That causes PTSD. That causes anxiety. That causes Mm -hmm. uh, students like... Uh, like Timothy to feel like I ain't shit and because you think I ain't shit I'm gonna start acting like I ain't shit and which is gonna lead me to a shithole place which happens to be prison so I want to thank my Mm -hmm. guests for coming on to my show today you all were phenomenal Uh, on to Nate Talks in true to Nate Talks fashion you have to give a shout out so we'll start with Timothy then Dawn and then Terrence you can give your shout out to your people and also Mm -hmm. you can tell the listeners where they can follow you on social media okay uh First and foremost, I just want to give a shout out to, you know, all the listeners and you yourself, because I appreciate, you know, the opportunity and I appreciate what you're doing. So that's my shout out. I want to give a shout out to all the listeners out there. And um, they can find me on, on Facebook. Uh, my name is Timothy Tip Abdul-Mateen on Facebook. And they can check out my our website at www.mayinstitute.org. Awesome. Thank you, Don. <laughs> Okay, um, I want to give a shout out to Flint. I ain't there right now getting, <laughs> doing this PhD thing, but I love y'all. <laughs> um, and and definitely a shout out to my kids. I got to say that because if they hear this and I don't say hi to Johnny James Zor, they're going to be mad. Um, and, and everybody who supported me um, and got me on a different path than where I was headed, all the support systems, I can't even go into them right now. I'll just say that our young people need those support systems. You got to shout out EOI. Shout out to EOI. Um, <laughs> I got shout out EOI, Baba Tendaja Ganges all day, you know, RIP, RIP. And, and everybody else. So thank you, Tanae, for having us on. Thank you for being a guest and Mr. Rogers. 
Oh, yeah. Shout out to you. This was a great uh, conversation. Shout out to uh, Brother Timothy and Sister Dawn. This was a great uh I want to say this conversation also just made me think about how I got here as an educator. So shout out to the professors that helped make me into the kind of teacher I am today. Dr. Hemingway, rest of, rest of dead, uh, Dr. Jackson, Dr. Cambon, Mama Bell. I mean, these were teachers that Dr. Simmons, he always told me, you know, it's about love. If you're not in it for love, then what you doing it for? And, I, and these people, I stand on their mm. shoulders. So that's how I do it. Shout out to them. Mm-hmm. That is beautiful. Shout out. I got to do my shout outs. <laughs> oh, you you want to go ahead. Grizz, yeah, the, the producer, want to give out his shout out. I actually <laughs> want to give a shout out, man. And, you know, shout out to all y'all, man. This has actually empowered me. I'm and, glad. you know, it is, you know, uh, Terry said it, it's a good conversation. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a good conversation. It's me being a business owner. It's a real good conversation. I actually want to hook up with Tim. I want to hook up with Tim and I'm gonna connect y'all, and we're gonna uh, bring Dropsite to Flint Entertainment to Flint awesome. to you know because the community means a lot. I love my city. I'm from Flint. Yeah, right. I stay in Texas, mm-hmm. but I, I love Flint. And you know, and just doing activities in the community does empower the community. Absolutely. So I, I definitely want to hook up with Tim, and we're gonna bring Dropsite Entertainment to Flint, and we're gonna do something for hey, our community. That's what Tanae mm-hmm. talks what is do. about. Hey, just gonna connect people because when Tanae talks, y'all listen. <laughs> oh, that's it. That's, <laughs> that's it. it. That's the one. So I want to give a shout out as always to my son, my beautiful baby boy. Andrew, AJ, who this conversation was inspired by him and how they tried to pigeonhole my baby and try to label him. Chronicles AJ. The Chronicles mm-hmm. of AJ out here. But you ain't going to label my baby because as right, long as I'm right. his mama, I'm going to fight the powers that be. <laughs> Shout out to the whole Flint City, Fly City. Shout out to some of my educators who who always empowered me. I hear so many horror stories in the school system, but that wasn't my experience. And so shout out to my kindergarten teacher, Miss Harrison. Shout out to my first grade teacher, Miss Tamara or uh, Maytar Ortel, who when I was in the third grade even allowed me to be in her wedding. That's how much she loved what? me. To my second grade teacher, who mm. is my mentor today, Miss Kimberly Cross, who loves me and adores me and every day shares my Tanae Talks page and anything that I'm doing. When I had a baby she gave me money when I graduated from high school college and grad school always made sure she wrote me a check she has always been in my corner and I was the first uh class that she taught when she graduated college as a teacher and so education is near and dear and important to me and uh, she always told me that I would be a teacher and she empowered me what she did a lot of um alternative discipline with me because as you know Tanae talks so Tanae talked a lot um as a kid (laughs) and because I talked too much (laughs) talk too much and so instead of writing me up or kicking me out or calling my mama every five minutes what she did was let me help the other kids because I would get done with my work so fast and talk to the kids and and distract them. She just let me be a helper or let me run things to the office or let me be a tutor. So I thank you, Miss Kimberly Cross. I will love you always until the end of time. And shout out to Flint, Michigan, Fly City. Shout out to my mama, Beverly, who was was a part of my village, who supported me in anything that I ever did and was ride or die if somebody did step out of line. (laughs) She was going to ride or die. Shout out to my phenomenal (laughs) guests. I can't thank you guys enough. This is about to be the littest episode I done did. Right, right, right. (laughs) This is about to be the highest rated numbers out here in these streets. So shout Mm -hmm. out to my my cousin, my real cousin, Timothy. 
Uh, thank you so much. I'm proud of the things that you are doing in the okay, community thanks. with Absolutely. the May Institute. The community needs you. You are a pure example of Absolutely. of of what pr prison is supposed to reform. And it, I can't say um, it, it it reformed you. Shout out, uh, shout out to Allah, um, you know, uh, for helping you on your journey and your beautiful wife. Um, you're just an amazing, phenomenal man. Keep doing what you're doing. Dawn, I thank you. Dawn has been a friend, mentor. Uh, when I was out here pregnant, she gave me a job at the Urban League. <laughs> She's always been... <laughs> I, she used to let me wobble myself late or early. Or, man, I love the Urban League when I was little, man. I love Urban uh, League. Thank you, Don. Thank you always for championing, uh, you know, going out of your way to make Flint better for the youth. You're in Arizona right now, but you're doing it all so that you can pour back into your community. And even though you're away, you're still pouring in. So we thank you. We appreciate you. And so to good. Terrence, we need more educators like you. You teach me on a daily basis. I appreciate you. You are phenomenal. And uh, we out. So we're going to end this segment with a little bit of Nas. And we want to empower the youth who are listening to this podcast that we know you can be what you want to be if you just work hard at it. No matter what these people in these streets try to tell you, you can do and be anything you want to be. Peace. Peace. All right, hey. Up. You can be anything in the world, and God we trust. An architect, doctor, maybe an actress, but nothing comes easy. It takes much practice. Like, I met a woman who's becoming a star. She was very beautiful, leaving people in awe. Singing songs, Lena Horn, but the younger version hung with the wrong person. Got a strong one at her when cocaine, sniffing up drugs, all in the nose. Could have died so young, now looks ugly and old. No fun, cause now when she reaches for hugs, people hold their breath. Cause she smells of corrosion and death. Watch the company you keep, and the crowd. You bring, cause they came to do drugs and you came to sing. So if you're gonna be the best, I'ma tell you how. Put your hand in the air and take the vow. I know I can, I know I can. Be, what I be. be what I wanna be. If I work hard at it, I'll be where I wanna be. For grown-looking girls who's only 10 The ones who watch videos and do what they see As cute as can be Up in the club with fake ID Careful, for you meet a man with HIV You can host a TV like Oprah Winfrey Whatever you decide, be careful Some men be rapists So act your age, don't pretend to be Older than you are Give yourself time to grow You're thinking he can give you wealth But so young boys You can use a lot of help, you know You're thinking life's all about smoking weed and ice You don't want to be my age and can't read and write Begging different women for a place to sleep at night smart boys turn them in and do whatever they wish if you believe you can achieve then say it like this i know i can, I know I can be what i want to be. be if i work hard at it i'll be where i want to be
before we came to this country. We were kings and queens, never porch monkeys. There was empires in Africa called Kush, Timbuktu, where every race came to get books to learn from black teachers who taught Greeks and Romans, Asian Arabs, and gave them gold. When gold was converted to money, it all changed. Money then became empowerment for Europeans. The Persian military invaded. They heard about the gold, the teachings, and everything sacred. Africa was almost robbed naked. Slavery was money, so they began making slave ships. Egypt was the place that Alexander the Great went. He wasn't shocked that the mountains were black faces. Shot up their nose to impose what basically still goes on today, you see. If the truth is told, the youth can grow. They'll learn to survive until they gain control. Nobody says you have to be gangsters, hoes. Read more, learn more, change the globe. Ghetto children, do your thing. Hold your head up, little man, you're a king. Young princess, when you get your wedding ring, your man is saying, she's my queen. I know I can, I know I can. be what I want to be. be, if I work hard at it, I'll be where I want to be. Save the music, y'all. Save the music.